Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Drinks with Allie podcast, where we're talking everything from red, red wine to pina coladas. I'm your host, Allie Knipp, and today is Wednesday, December 16th. This is episode number two of the podcast, and can I just say a huge, huge thank you to everyone that listened to, shared, liked, and commented on episode one. Seriously, you guys rock. It means the absolute world to me. Like I said, today is Wednesday, so that means it's Wine Wednesday. Yay! I think Wine Wednesday is my favorite day of the week, except for maybe sparkling wine Saturdays. Now, before we jump into today's awesome wine, let's cover a couple of things. Firstly, a reminder, if you're looking for me on social media, it's Drinks with Allie. Allie is spelled A-L-I. I know it's a little confusing. It's simply because I dropped the last three letters of my full name when I was about seven, and now it's what I use. So with that, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, as well as Pinterest and TikTok. Any other TikTokers out there, uh, hit me up if you're on there. It's actually kind of fun to make lots of silly videos of tastings or things that have to do with wine, cocktails, and drinks in general. Um, as well, the first Drinks with Ali Spotify playlist is up. These playlists came to me after getting the inspiration from Uncorked, the movie with Courtney B. Vance. The premise of the movie is about a young colored man who wants to pursue his dream of being a master sommelier. Meanwhile, his father wants him to carry on the family business of restaurant or family restaurant uh, barbecue. It's a barbecue restaurant. Wow. In the movie, Courtney B. Vance's character Elijah compares a few different wines to different rappers. Chardonnay is Jay-Z, Pinot Grigio is Kanye, and Riesling is Drake. So I thought, why not follow that into different styles and moods as well as the different grape varietals? So our first playlist is, if Gamay Noir was a musician, she'd be Taylor Swift. So like Taylor Swift, when young or nouveau style, Gamay is bright, poppy, and sometimes a little sweet or naive. She gets a lot of haters, just like Jet Gamay shakes it off and doesn't notice. And with some stylistic changes, Gamay's, much like Taylor, mature really well and can cover myriad of styles from that of the poppy flavored country to introspective and calm folk type songs. So, with that, let's jump into today's topic, uh, our wine. Our Wine Wednesday topic. I actually had such a hard time picking just one wine or style for today. There are so many different wines I can't wait to talk to you guys about. After much deliberation, okay, and maybe a couple of glasses of wine, I decided that we should start with ice wine. Uh, One, because I love ice wine so much, and I love having it during the holidays, but two, because ice wine has to be one of the most polarizing and often misused and misunderstood wines I've ever come across. It also happens to be really, really, really cold here today. Quintessentially Canadian, though, it can and is produced all over the world. Uh, Well, in cool climate regions, that is. It's thick, syrupy, sweet, and goes with so many dishes, from savory to salty to sweet. Our talk today will cover some history, the production, and absolute trust that winemakers must have in order to create it, some classic producers, and finally some pairing ideas so you guys can finally use that dusty old bottle that somebody gave to you years and years ago that's been sitting in the back of your wine cellar for who knows how long. Alrighty. Now, ice wine has been consistently produced consistently, and I'm 99.99% sure every single year since here in Canada, since 1984. 
Um, vintage years on wine are always the year the grapes are grown in, not necessarily the, gra- the year they're harvested in. As is the case with a lot of ice wines, they're harvested in the year after they're grown. Now, in 1983, two wineries, Hildebrandt and, in Niagara-on-the-Lake and Pelee Island on the I- Pelee Island, did have small batches, but they weren't big enough to be considered uh, commercial productions. The problem in 83 for most producers was birds. As the grapes hung out on the vines, hungry and opportunistic birds took advantage and ate most of the grapes. Since 1984, grapes being left for ice wine and indeed many other grapes and wines that are hanging are netted to protect them from the wandering eyes and beaks of hungry, hungry little birds. Uh, These intrepid and trailblazing Canadians were certainly not the first winemakers to try their hand at this extreme style of winemaking. That honor gets to go to the Germans. Uh, It's thought that the first vintage was way back in the 1700s when some grapes were frozen during an unexpected and early cold snap. Waste not, want not. These grapes were harvested, pressed, and turned into the very first ice wine. Interestingly enough, ice wine in Canada and much of kind of the new age of ice wine is spelt ice, I-C-E, wine, W-I-N-E, as one word. The German for it is Eiswein, E-I-S-W-I-N-E, and it's two words. Um, but Canadian ice wine is always spelt as one word. So if you see it on a menu as two words, that is an incorrect spelling on that one. Um, so back to our Germans. Though less consistent in their production until rather recently, the Germans have made uh, ice wine for a number of centuries. In school, we were taught, though, they may have invented or observed it first. It was certainly the Canadians who perfected it, used it to make a stamp on the world, and who outperform all other countries when it comes to production levels. So what makes it so different from other sweet wines? Well, for one, the juice starts out much sweeter than it would for a sweet table wine. Um, So there's actually more sugar in the grapes at the start of production um, when they're pressed than there is with a sweet table wine. Secondly, the grapes lose their moisture due to the frost and freezing cycles that they go through before they're harvested, as opposed to from rot as with botrytis-affected wines. Uh, Now, to make an ice wine is surely a leap of faith. You have to take a section or a block of your vineyards, know that it will create grapes with a good flavor profile. The sugar levels at fall harvest is rarely anything to do with the final sugar or degrees bricks that the wine will, the grapes will have at the end. And then you trust and pray that mother nature will give you the correct conditions for the grapes to freeze in before they rot. The grapes for table wine uh, in the Northern hemisphere are usually harvested in the fall. So late August to November on the outside of a really long off chance year. Ice wine grapes are left to hang, freezing and thawing, freezing and thawing, until the conditions are just right. And that usually means they've lost 90 to 95% of their original yield. So you guys can imagine how much of a leap of faith this is. You have to, as a grape grower or winemaker, leave those grapes out on those vines, hope and pray that you're going to get something really great out of them, and know that you're going to lose the vast majority of what your overall yield could have been. So these grapes hang until it's been negative six degrees Celsius or 17 and a half degrees Fahrenheit for our American listeners for what the VQA or Vintners Quality Alliance calls a quote sustained period, which is usually about a week. 
This can happen anywhere from late November, which is super duper rare, through to late February. Most vineyards aim for late December and into January. I have seen it as early as mid-December, but more consistently, it seems to be the first part of January. The grapes are usually harvested by hand and often at night, so the grapes are picked between negative 10 and negative 13 degrees Celsius, or 14 and 9 degrees Fahrenheit. Now let me tell you, that is cold. I mean like really, really freaking cold. Having had the chance to harvest uh, ice wine was amazing, but negative 13 degrees Celsius at 2 in the morning is cold. I'm pretty sure I had on every piece of winter clothing I owned that night. And you're picking on the ground. You're sitting in the snow, picking off all these tiny little, tiny weeny little berries. They look like raisins hanging on the ground, on a vine. And do not drop them unless they're going into your bin because they are worth their weight in gold. The very carefully picked grapes are then transported to the winery, to be to their winery crush pads, and they're pressed. Also while well remaining under that negative 10 degrees Celsius mark. So you can imagine we har- you harvest in the middle of the night. It's first thing in the morning when you're pressing those grapes. The grapes are so dehydrated, they yield only a couple of drops of juice per berry. The juice, or must as it's called, is then sent into the winery for fermentation to begin. As you can imagine, even the toughest, most vigilant little yeast strains out there can't convert all that sugar to alcohol and the resulting wines are very sweet and usually low in alcohol. Somewhere in around 10% is about industry standard. The most common grapes to be used for ice wine are Vidal Blanc, which is a hybrid grape. So it had one Vitis vinifera parent and it had one usually Vitis, I believe it's Ruparia for Vidal uh, parent and they were hybridized or bred together for Ontario's difficult growing climate. Riesling is another very popular ice wine grape, and Cabernet Franc um, for a red grape. Though many wineries do experiment with other varietals, such as Cabernet Sauvignon, Pinot Gris, Chardonnay, and even Gewürztraminer. The theme, though, is that they tend to be very aromatic grapes that have a great aromatic and flavor profile before they're left to hang. So that tends to carry over into the wine itself. A classic, couple of classic and well-known producers to look out for would be Inniskillen. They, per- they produced the very first big vintage in 1984, and in 1991, they won the very, very prestigious Grand Prix d'Honneur at Vin Expo in Bordeaux. Um, so they splashed Canada onto the world stage and really brought to light what ice wine was for a lot of people around the world. Rife, who is neighbors to Inniskillen and part of the original group of extreme winemakers in Niagara Lake as well. There's a couple of uh, producers in the Okanagan that make some really great ones. And here in Nova Scotia, Domaine de Grand Pre makes a fantastic Vidal ice wine, as does Lightfoot and Wolfville. Um, personally, I love Peller Estates' Ice Cuvée. It's a traditional method sparkling wine that's dosage or top-up wine. So when they disgorge the spent yeast cells in a traditional method sparkling, um, they're using, to top that bottle up, they're using Vidal ice wine. So it gives it just enough sweetness while maintaining all of its sparkling wine goodness. So come on, guys. I told you at the start. I love sparkling wine. I love ice wine. It is literally the perfect wine for me. While most people would say 
Ice wine is just for pairing with dessert, or indeed instead of dessert. I think you're really missing out if that's the only way you want to consume ice wine and food. Certainly, it's fantastic with apple or pear tarts, a bittersweet chocolate mousse, or even creme brulee. You really can't go wrong with ice wine and dessert. Um, for these pairings, though, you definitely want to make sure that your ice wine is always sweeter than the food that you're pairing it with. Uh, if your food is sweeter, it's just going to make that discord, there's going to be some discord in how that flavor profile comes out. Ice wines are fabulous with chocolate as well. I'm a big chocolate fanatic, so this is a really good pairing for me, but like really good chocolate. So not the cheap stuff that you buy at the like corner store, get the really expensive stuff from your local mercantile that is probably going to be organic and like $7 a bar. Um, Riesling or Vidal ice wine is great. They're both great with white chocolate. And bit dark, almost bitter chocolate are fantastic with Cab Franc ice wines. Um, they are a great pairing when you want to have something that's a little sweet, but maybe you don't want to have a whole big piece of cake or something like that. Ice wines are also great friends with savory, rich foods. So thinking along the lines of chicken liver parfait, foie gras, or duck confit, those really, really rich French kind of appetizer foods where you only really want to eat a tiny little bit. The richness of the two will pair well together, and that makes such a great complement. Now, spicy dishes like hot, hot curry are fantastic with ice wine because the sweetness and the sugars in the ice wine tames all of that heat, bring out more of the actual flavors beyond just, you know, hot in your food. But my absolute, absolute favorite pairing is ice wine and cheese, especially blue cheese. The salty, rich cheese and the rich, velvety texture of these wines pair so well together. When I worked um, at Peller, we actually used to pour ice wine into wheels of blue cheese every year. And it was such a fantastic pairing because then we'd pair it with ice wine as well. And it was fantastic. I used to love it. You can do it at home if you have a little um, triangle of blue cheese. You can pour a little bit of ice wine in there. It'll soak it up. All the blue veins will soak it all in there. And it's so good. You guys will love it. I've also had a number of ice wine cocktails. Uh, quite a few ice wine martinis. So you take two ounces of vodka and two ounces of Vidal ice wine. You stir them over ice and you strain them into a glass, maybe garnish it with some frozen grapes. And I've had countless ice wine Cosmos, which are really fantastic. And you just replace one ounce of the vodka in your traditional Cosmo recipe with one ounce of Cabernet Franc ice wine. It's really that easy and it gives such a cool flavor profile. These both drinks are both super tasty and so, so good when you can have them outside by a fire pit and it's snowing. It's great. Um, I've also had ice wine in marshmallows. It makes a really cool, different flavor and makes the outside crust so nice and hard when you roast it over an open fire. So hopefully you guys enjoyed our little talk about ice wine. I know I sure did. For more info on ice wine, you can find a blog post uh, just about ice wine on the blog. Again, that's Drinks with Allie, D-R-I-K-S-W-I-T-H-A-L-I.com, or on the VQA website, which is winecountryontario.ca. With um, 
all of these ideas. It's so easy to see why the Niagara region has a massive outdoor ice wine festival each year, and to a smaller degree, so does Nova Scotia. This year, of course, with COVID, we won't be able to run it, which is terribly, terribly sad, but hopefully there's next year. Uh, remember, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can drop me an email at drinkswithally.gmail.com. So D-R-I-N-K-S-W-I-T-H-A-L-I at gmail.com or fill in the comment form on the website. If you really don't want to do that, you can drop me a DM or a PM on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok, Pinterest, uh, anywhere you can find me on social media, you can leave me a message and I will try my darndest to get back to you. So with that, guys, we're going to wrap up today's episode. Happy Wine Wednesday. I hope you enjoy some ice wine. So cheers, everybody, and fill your glass with something tasty. We'll talk soon.